Thursday afternoon. It means finance today. Stephen Pritchard is with us, and we're taking a look at the markets. How are things travelling at the moment? The Australian dollar we heard in the news, it sounds like it's not too bad at the moment. Ah, the Australian dollar's okay. I mean, there's the the US dollar and uh, the British pound's falling because of uh, external issues and... Australia's uh, just basically staying there. I mean, the Australian dollar is uh, um, 75 cents against the US dollar this week. It's, it's up 2%. Um, the Great British Pound, we're, we're actually down 2% against the Great British oh, Pound. Right. There's a lot of things going on in the UK about... Um, whether they stay with whether the euro they or stay that. in the euro or yeah. exit the, uh, the not the euro the the um, European the market EU, EU eurozone um, yeah. and um, the euro is actually up by one point one percent to uh, sixty six euro cents and then the commodities the gold price is down two point eight six cents so two point eight cents for the week to sixteen hundred eighty three dollars an ounce and the silver price is down two point four percent to twenty three dollars eleven and in the equity markets around the world the um the uh, all of news was up by two point two percent on the week to five thousand three hundred forty nine uh the Dow Jones was pretty much steady at seventeen thousand seven hundred and eighty uh the UK index was up by six uh four point Nine percent to uh, six thousand two hundred sixty-one on expectation that now that they're going to stay in the eurozone, um, and the Hang Seng was uh, up one point six to twenty thousand seven hundred ninety-five. Uh, the West Texas Intermediate Crude was up one percent to sixty-seven dollars, so the oil price is slowly creeping up there. And the um, fuel price in Newcastle, the unleaded fuel price, was down 1.4% to uh, 26.1 cents a litre in Newcastle and down 4% in Sydney to $1.27.9. And I think school holiday starts the end of this week for some mm. schools, so we'll see what the petrol price does next Whether week. Whether it spikes again. Jane, Jane had a... Uh, Forecast that it will be going up, but we'll see. And the diesel price in Newcastle is a dollar twenty-four, and in Sydney is a dollar twenty-four. Okay, okay. So we'll see what the fuel price does for the uh, next week when the school holiday starts. Special guest is Henry Jennings. Just for you, Stephen. Henry, how are you going down there today? I'm very well, Stephen. How are you? Good. You're quite not sick, like everyone appears to be getting sick up here with the flu. No, not at all. Excellent. Excellent. Not that's, at all. That's excellent. Yes. So uh, the, all the all the news this morning, and I saw um, uh, I saw uh, Marcus Padley on one of the television stations this morning about um, the UK voting on whether to exit from the eurozone. So, what do you think is going to happen there, Henry? Um, I don't think they will exit. I don't think once they get into the to the actual booth that they will um, they will vote for that change. I think it's a bridge too far, um, but I think it will be close. Certainly, the bookies. Uh, are expecting it not to be that close, and they're expecting a, a relatively easy, I guess, uh, remain in the EU uh, decision. But I think it will be close, and we'll get the results um, tomorrow, our time, um, starting around nine o'clock, and it will all be over by uh, by uh, the early afternoon. It's it's a little bit of a strange vote because they're um, they're, they're voting in areas, they're counting in areas, but it's not like a um, seats or a constituency basis it is basically uh, a, a total of the vote so um, it will be interesting kicks off around nine so it will be fun to see the results but i think they will ultimately stay in the eu so there'll be some early trend results out before our market opens will they um it's it's very hard to uh there's no exit polls it's very hard to uh, look at trends because the areas are um, different to uh, oh, okay, uh, okay. a normal election seat. Um, some areas will be very pro 
leaving Europe and some will be very uh, against leaving Europe. So it will be hard to extrapolate those early trends. Um, areas like the City of London, for instance, when they do the votes there, will be very pro-Europe because uh, that's, a, that's a sort of a, a, the, the business community. So um, it will be hard to extrapolate. I'm on telly actually at 12.30 with a, with a bumper Brexit show on Sky Business. So um, we get to talk a lot of, uh, lot of stuff on Brexit, but I, I imagine by uh, 11.30 we will get a pretty good um, idea of how it's all going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they don't exit, there might be much to talk about. Well, I, if, if they do, if they don't, um, if if they don't um, vote to exit, I don't know what we're going to talk about for the next month or so because it's occupied uh, a lot of uh, investors' minds for some time now, and it's uh, either Brexit or the Fed, um, and we've just had the Fed talking about gradual rate rises and, and so gradual it's glacial, um, and if we get Brexit out of the way, there won't be anything to. Uh, to be sort of worrying us on the macro front anyway. Mm. And so talking about rate rises and the exit from the euro, a number of fund managers have come out in the last couple of weeks saying that the investors should consider holding some gold bullion in their portfolio. So I just thought we might ask what you think about that idea. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people that do like uh, physical gold. Um, the, the problem, I guess, with physical gold is that uh, it hasn't got an awful lot of leverage Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the gold miners themselves do have that leverage to the gold price. So traditionally it's been more um, a question of whether you hold gold shares. I, I would say that everybody should have at least some gold exposure in their portfolio, only because it is kind of a hedge if things go completely to custard, in which case um, at least you'll have one winner or two winners in your portfolio. But, um, you know, it, it's it's certainly, I mean, I don't have any... Um, physical gold, but there are a lot of people I know that uh, like to like the feel of of, of gold. But uh, I've always been a little bit confused about the whole physical gold argument. You just you know you dig this stuff up from under the ground and then you reproduce it into a gold bar, then you put it into a vault vault below the ground again. So you're just really changing its appearance. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because. Mm. Yeah, because there's these gold ETFs that are also very popular now. Well, there's gold ETFs, there's gold shares, you can go and buy gold coins, you can buy gold, you know, the lingots, etc. So there's lots of different ways to get exposure. But, you know, I guess it's a bit like an insurance policy. Um, In the old days, gold was very uh, valuable and very popular because it was easily transportable. If something horrible happened, um, you could, uh, you know, you could take your little gold coins um, and they could always exchange them for uh, for something of value somewhere in the world, whereas sometimes paper currency is not always mm. um, as um, as reliable. That's right. That's right. Because it, oh, they can just keep printing. More. Well, if you are, you know, if you ask the Venezuelan people at the moment, uh, you know, they've got inflation at one hundred and eighty percent or something ridiculous, and, and the paper money is, is is pretty much worthless because of the collapse in their economy. Mm. So BHP, BHP's come out um, in the last week or so that, uh, saying that they believe the commodities glut will last for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, they haven't got a great track record, have they? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, they would probably know more than, than I um, about it. And I guess if you look at BHP, um, being one of the producers of those commodities, they can, um, and the, you know, the world's biggest miner effectively, they, they can tailor... Um, their supply 
Um, you know, if they wanted to increase the iron ore price, they could immediately cease all production of iron ore tomorrow, mm-hmm. and the iron ore price would spike through the roof. Um, so, you know, they do have some control over the pricing mechanism in some of the metals and commodities they dominate. So um, there's undoubtedly there is a, um, a supply issue. Um, certainly the demand is not there, and the, the supply continues to... Um, to ramp up in most commodities and, and you know we're just not buying and, and doing as much stuff mm-hmm. globally as we used to do. Mm. And on the supply side I, I saw an article or something came across my desk this morning that the APEC oil revenue um, is at a 10 year low so there's obviously the things aren't improving in the, the crude oil business either. No I mean I guess it's a, it's a little bit backward looking um, but it's certainly you know um, they, they always kind of proposed that they could replace uh, the, the, the price with the amount of stuff that they were actually uh, selling in yep. terms of, you know, the Saudis pushing up their, their quotas and production. Um, but it certainly doesn't appear that way. And, and you have to remember, I guess, in this day and age, OPEC is somewhat less relevant than it was back in the, um, in the bad old days of the 70s when it had the world uh, by the throat. Um, nowadays, with, um, with more production from more countries, and especially with the entry of U.S. shale, um, OPEC is not as relevant as it used to be. Mm-hmm. But still, the Saudis are thinking of floating off that oil company. So, you know, yeah, like... I think it's unlikely that they'll crash the oil price again back to 26 mm-hmm. bucks when they're trying to sell their, um, mm-hmm. their Aramco, which is the Saudi Arabian National Oil Companies. Um, you know, they're talking about 5% of selling that in an IPO to raise money. I mean, all these countries have a, an issue. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. And, and you know, we've seen it uh, exaggerated it hugely in a, in a country like Venezuela, which has amazingly had an effect on one of our um, blue chip companies, Amcor. Um, Amcor have a, a business in Venezuela, and because their their country is completely and utterly dependent on oil revenue, which has not been too flash to say the least, and they have massive social uh, programs based on yep. that, not unlike the Saudis. Yep. Um, their economy's collapsed. Amcor have not been able to. Um, to get U.S. dollars effectively to get anything raw materials into the country, inflation. Um, so they've written off um, you know, 350, 450000000 million on their um, South American operations because of um, these and other issues they have with, uh, with Venezuela and other emerging markets. Okay. Well, we just might have a short break here and we'll come back and talk about what Rio is doing and, and the new float on ASX. And we continue with our special guest, Henry Jennings. Ah, Henry. So, so Rio is thinking of, uh, or there's talk that Rio is thinking of selling some, uh, spinning off some of their unwanted assets. Yes. Uh, so, do you think that's going to happen? Um, I don't know. The market's full of speculation yep. on this. The, uh, the the reason this came about is that they've got a, a new CEO starting in July, and they've had a reorganisation of the divisions, and as a result, the uh, one of the new CEOs' rival. Um, a guy called Andrew Harding has left the company um, and in leaving the company they've created this kind of mega division of all the bits that aren't really um, that attractive to Rio and put it in this kind of division which makes it very easy for them I guess to, uh, to hive it off a bit like BHP mm-hmm. did with South 32 um, the problem I guess that Rio have is that South 32 had a quite a good mix of assets and uh, uh, it was quite attractive uh, as, as a hive off as a separate standalone company whereas the Rio assets aren't quite as attractive. They're a little bit quirky. Um, you know, you've got things like borates and mm-hmm. a, a little bit of coal and a little bit of iron ore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So it's not quite as attractive. Um, and a lot of these um, businesses, they've actually been trying to sell. So um, 
it remains to be seen whether it does happen, but um, you know, there's lots of speculation in the market that it could, and of course the investment banks, I'm sure, are lining up to, to charge do the work fees. because they would get the nice fat fees. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, it wasn't that long ago there was this huge push to put all the um, or put Humpty back together, um, and we had the creation of something like BHP Billiton, where mm-hmm. they joined into becoming a mega miner, and then of course the Humpty falls off the wall and they try and take Humpty apart again. So, um, you know, they floated off uh, South 32. The same happened with uh, National Bank, with mm-hmm. Clydesdale. Um, so it just kind of uh, it just goes in uh, in cycles. And I guess if an investment bank is sitting there twiddling their thumbs with nothing better to do, um, they look at, um, oh, no, that's how we can uh, put a proposal to hive off this business or that business or these divisions or um, put these together. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see if it actually transpires. And... and- I saw an article in the paper this morning, which which I had to read a couple of times because I still don't see. No, Telstra seems to be going in the mining services technology. Um, yeah, I saw this as well. Um, they, they've created a new business, and they're looking. I think I think that the crux of it was that they were looking to go into mining services technology in terms of software delivery and communication solutions um, for uh, for mining companies. Um, so it's not a massive, you know. Not a massive stretch for Telstra to uh, to create a sort of standalone business that does this. So I don't think there's a huge amount of risk attached to it. Um, it's just, I guess, focusing on the opportunities that are available. Um, you know, we all know that mines are becoming more automated. You've got driverless trains and driverless trucks and all this sort of stuff. So I guess Telstra's trying to get in on that side of the business um, to be able to help uh, mining companies to harness the, the software and all the automation benefits that are out there. Yeah. Yes, and Drain Shield listed on the ASX yesterday, and it, it came on at a 50% premium. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, it's got had last year revenue of 123000 I think. Yes. Yeah. So um, I mean, there's, there's been a, a big, lot of... Um, big market cap for that. Um, yes. I mean, there's been a lot of um, talk in the papers about um, tech stocks that are listing, and I guess Guevara, the music streaming business, is the is the most prominent, um, where they have revenue of about a million bucks, and they wanted to um, value the thing at 1.3 billion on the stock exchange, um, which looks completely ridiculous. But there you go. Um, but Drone Shield is a company that basically provides. Um, I guess they're an anti-drone company. They have an acoustic footprint of uh, most of the drones that are available in the world, um, and they are a, a drone blocker. Now, there's a lot of people that want to block drones. Uh, hotels want to block uh, drones flying over for the privacy of their guests, um, and it's especially um, popular in the U.S. Um, in terms of the U.S. prison service being able to block drones flying over prisons. I guess I'm not quite sure why you'd want to fly over a prison with a drone unless you're trying to make some sort of weird escape. Um, but there's there's obviously money in this in terms of trying to block unwarranted, um, you know, people seeing inside your institution, hotel, house, or whatever. So these guys are doing that. The stock's actually um, off 20% today. Um, having uh, listed at 20 cents, it got to um, got to 30 odd cents yesterday. It's back to uh, 24, 25 cents or something today. So, Right, right. Yeah. yeah, so that's another specky thing that. Uh, yeah, know. I mean, they they do say that they you know they've obviously got more revenue down the pipeline and there's there's a lot more people looking at it, but um, it's it's only really a sort of a, a deterrent. They 
the, the next step is to actually um, interfere and shoot down <laughs> you're the, the, the drones, and then we'll have drone wars. But at the moment, um, most places, drones are considered aircraft, and if you start shooting down aircraft, um, they, they tend to cause a few uh, legal ramifications for that one. Yes, oh, well, back to something more mundane. West Farmers is looking at its first profit fall since 2010 and are blaming Target and coal mines and yeah. and all sorts of things. But uh, what do you think? Well, I, I was on telly yesterday and I, I had a bit of a rant about West Farmers. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, they're, they're a conglomerate. They're one of these things that got put together some time ago um, and you've got such a vast range of businesses mm-hmm. in terms of, now you've got Coles, you've got Bunnings, you've got Officeworks, which you can say are pretty much the same. But then they've got coal mines, um, which are somewhat different. So it, it, I, I wouldn't imagine that there's most investors that look at West Farmers and go, oh, I really want some coal exposure, so I'm going to buy West Farmers. Um, if you want coal exposure, you can go elsewhere. Most people, I would imagine, buy West Farmers because they've got exposure to retail through the coals, the Bunnings and the Officeworks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does seem a bit of an anathema in this modern day and age um, that this conglomerate exists and there has been some questions asked about this and obviously they've got a problem child in Target as well so um, they've got some issues um, the company's standing by its strategy Richard Goida um, is very keen on this kind of um, strategy which uh, negates um, some of the risk I guess if retail's down maybe coal's up I don't quite understand that but there you go um, but you would imagine and it is the bottom of the cycle in coal, so it wouldn't be a great time to be selling the business, but they could easily um, do what Rio's is attempting or potentially attempting to do is to, to hive it off into a separate entity and maybe release some more of the value in the retail business and give investors the choice. Um, if you want to invest in coals and, and bunnings, then go with West Farmers. If you want to um, invest in coal, go with um, coal farmers. Oh, that's a new. But that's still, I mean, but I also looked at the returns West Farmers had since 1984, and they're nothing to, they're nothing to be sneezed at either. Oh, they're nothing to be sneezed at, but um, I think, you know, the best years are behind them. Yeah, the yeah. Oh, I, think, uh, I think that's right. They didn't say know, it. Yeah. It's all very well to hop back on, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what you've done since 1984, and you and I, Stephen, could talk about yeah, yeah, good yeah. old days when, you, you know, you and I, you know, I used to go out on the football field every Saturday and score three goals, and, and that, that doesn't happen anymore. I'm, I'm, no. I'm old and uh, no. old, old and fat and uh, can't move as well as I used to. So, yep. um, you know, I think West Farmers have got some challenges ahead um, with their supermarkets business. I think there's um, certainly a lot more competition there. And they've also got a lot of challenges in their target business mm. as well. Mm. So, um, and that's regardless of coal. So, you know, it's, it's great to look back at the, the good old days, but um, they don't always last. No, and... Um Speaking of that, Vitaco, which is a recent listing on ASX, is, is now expanding their, their, their range of products in the UK gyms. Um, yeah, I mean, Vitaco, which is uh, Musashi and, and those sorts of things, and uh, they do power bars and all that sort of stuff. Apparently, the UK people are fat and unhealthy, um, and as a result, Vitaco want to, uh, want to change that, and they want to get them into the gyms and eating their products, which is now understandable. Um, Swiss, the, um, the vitamin maker as well, is, is doing the same sort of uh, strategy. And obviously there's, there's big growth in Asia, but there's also big growth in other markets. And you know, it's not that difficult to change the packaging um, for, um, for English-speaking yep. um, worlds and, and to push into those markets. They're pretty well known and it would be pretty easy to uh, access. It's just a question, I guess, of whether they can uh, you know, leverage that, um, that Aussie productness into, um, into the UK. 
Yes. Anyhow, Henry, we will talk to you next week. We will. And will you be putting out an update on Marcus today, tomorrow, about what's happening with the Briacs? Um, I'm sure um, whether I do or, or someone does. does, someone will. Um, I'll be on telly um, at 12.30, so for those people that got Foxtel, 6.02. And apparently it's going to be a bumper show with lots and lots of very, uh, very intelligent people on. Very eminent people well such there. as yourself. No, I think I'm the clown. Oh, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I, I think, think I'm the right. court jester. I'm there yep, to, uh, to, to lighten to things wind, up. To wind them up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you next week, Henry. Thanks, Stephen. Bye-bye. We make our way out to Windale now. Say hello to Wayne. Good afternoon. Stephen's listening to you. Hi, Hi Wayne. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. That's good. That's good. Um, I've just got a question in relation to fringe benefits tax. Um, so I'm a tradie, um, run my own plumbing business. A mate who's also a tradie told me that I, if I buy a dual cab ute um, that I use primarily for work, then I don't have to pay fringe benefits on tax on it. Is that correct? I, it's partly correct. I mean, if the, if the dual cab ute's got a carrying capacity of more than one tonne, and mm-hmm. provided it's only used for incidental private use, um, it it's not subject to FBT. Now, there's a ATO ruling floating around somewhere or one of their documents that defines incidental private use as basically within home and work. So if you take it down to the shopping centre down there at Mount Hutton or over to Harvey Norman or something of a Saturday, um, that's more than incidental private use and it would be then subject to FBT. So, so yeah, I know a lot of people, are, you know, there's a car yard in town telling people that, that as well, but they, they forget the second bit. So, so, yeah, so if it's only incidental private use, um, it's not subject to FBT, but if you're basically using it as a family car and going shopping in it and, and, and doing whatever else, um, uh, you know, taking the kids to football, uh, it, it is subject to fringe benefits tax. It also has to make sure it has a as a, a, a carrying capacity of one ton because I have known the ATA to uh, contact the dealer and uh, make sure that the car does carry or the Ute does carry one ton. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, thanks, Wayne. Everything. Thank you. Bye. Good on you. There you go. Great to have a call there. That's good. Uh, now, our topic today, the ATO, they are getting smarter on transactions. Can you tell us some more about this? Uh, yeah, the ATO is stepping up their um, uh, transaction matching technology. I mean, for a long time, um, they've matched your um, personal uh, dividend and interest income and onto your tax return. So they've checked them. What, what, what you... about my Cayman Island account? Can they... Yeah, well, they, well, well, we'll get to that. Get we'll to get there. to that in a minute. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah, so for... for, for um, a long time they've matched dividend and interest income um, on your personal tax returns and you know it wasn't uncommon for people to uh, forget to include that and get a letter from the tax office and and also the amount that they you're now getting letters for are a lot smaller than they used to be oh, I mean okay. you know you used to get letters occasionally you know significant amounts but now you're getting letters for a hundred and hundred or so dollars that have been forgotten about. So they're obviously getting um, smarter. Now, uh, Cayman Islands, I know you were joking, but there is a new, there is a new information sharing agreement that's come in place. And if you notice when you open accounts these days, you have to ask a lot of questions about, um, are you a US resident? And so there's this proposal that Australian tax office data is going to be shared with various overseas countries. Now, I don't know whether the Cayman Islands is one, but I know the UK and the US are. So if you've got accounts in the UK and US, that data is going to end up in the 
tax office to match with your tax return oh, okay. in the not too distant future. I think we've got a, another No, call. no, not yet, not yet. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's a lot of years with us. So we're going to say hello to David, who joins us now. David, uh, about the petrol prices in Perth, what can you tell us about that? Does it have any bearing on us here with our petrol prices? Well, I think it does, yeah. I mean, the other day I was, I was over there and um, I was just watching the television and they, what they do over there is they advertise by suburb where the, the cheapest fuel ha- happens to be on the day. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've never had anything like that in New South Wales ever since I've lived here, and um, I honestly wonder why they can do something like that in a state like WA and we can't do it in a place like Newcastle, New South Wales. Well, I, I suppose who's paying for it? Someone well, has I to suppose, be paying yep. to go around and collect all this data. Yep, and, yep. And, and, and you know, the, the fuel prices we quote we get from the NRMA. Do you think they might have, mm. like, a fuel ombudsman or something like that over there that we don't have? Well, I, I mean, I don't, personally, I'm not sure, but um, I just think what we've had, this system we have here is, is is pretty hopeless. I mean, you can go from one suburb to another and find you can be 10 and 15 cents variation from one place to the other. I mean, I don't think it's fair for the for the consumer at all, what we have here. It's just, I think it's, personally, I think it's pretty uh, pretty terrible. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose um, you, you, know, you know someone's got to pay to collect all this data and, and publish it, and you know, um, and, and, and you know the, the NRMA, I assume, does the best they can, and you can't expect them to go around and provide um, stuff for people who aren't members. Um, so I, I don't know who's doing it in WA. It must be some government instrumentality. So Stephen, it's said that there's no collusion within the petrol service industry, yet how is it that within, say, a 5K radius, they all seem to have the same petrol? Oh, it's just market forces. Same pricing there. But if you go to the, if you, if you go to the racetrack and you go to the bookies ring, you can see it's a great example of market forces in work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one of the bookmakers um, will, will change the odds and you watch the boards and they all change theirs. I mean, mm. it's the same thing. The, the petrol station down the road puts their price down and gets all the customers, so, so the other one puts its price down to get its customers back. Barry joins us from Curry now, and Stephen's here listening to you right now, Barry. Hi, Barry. Hi, mate. How are you going? Good. Yeah, the one thing I, I can't work out with Australia, they cannot follow New Zealand. Now, their petrol, their cigarettes, their, their everything's all the one price from around the whole country. Why can't they do it here? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Does I, it change much in New Zealand week by week or does it remain the same or close around that day? It remains the same all the time in New Zealand. Uh, I, I, They've got a price on everything. Every garage got the same price. Right. Every, right. Shop's, every shop's got the same price on tobacco and milk and stuff like that. Right. Well, I mean, the, 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 the tobacco, tobacco and milk used to be price controlled and, and petrol used to be price controlled by the by the government but um I, I you know i don't know what they do in new zealand but it's not price controlled here any longer and we'll go to charlestown now another call another barry joining us barry you'd like to chat about overseas shares yeah um at the moment i've uh, just sold some shares that um i got from a previous employer as part of an employment package um i'm not sure what i paid for these shares in the beginning and uh i've sold them now so what's the Ah, well, you're going to have to go and find out what you bought for them because you've got to declare the the gain you made on your tax return. 
So you should have kept the you should have kept the records um, uh, 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 when you first got the shares in order to work out the capital gain. So I, I suggest you're going to have to go back to your employer and find out what they originally paid. Difficult, uh, that's easier said than done. Here, those uh, companies closed, so I'm not even sure where we get that data from now. Well, what do you What do you mean the company's closed? Well, the company that, that I work for is no longer no longer exists, so there's no, uh, you know, it's really hard to go back and find somebody. But well, well, how did you? How did they give them to you as part of a severance pay, something like that? Uh, no, it was a part of a pay package. They, you know, part of the wages went to pay for uh, shares in the company, and um, this company was Oracle, so... Oracle? The, the, yeah, the major company still going in America, but not in Australia, so... Yeah, but, but the shares would have been issued in the parent company. Someone will have the records. Yeah. Good luck with that. You're going to have to do a little go, bit of a to, super sleuthing there, I think, Barry. Try and track down that information and see how you go. Now, we're continuing on here with Finance Today. And some more information. Can you share some more with us about the ATO, getting smarter on these transactions, more they may be looking to do? Well, one of the things, we're, well, from well, talking about shares, one of the things is from um, 2000 and July 2017, the ATO is going to be getting all the share transaction records. Okay. So, so they're going to know when you um, sold the things and you know you're going to have problems like our friend Barry here if, wow. if if you've got these sale of these shares and you know you've got to keep the, the the records and we've said numerous times it's very important to keep the records and it can be quite expensive to, to go and try and recreate them so there is a great tip for us at tax time always keep your receipts try and file them away somewhere where you can revisit yep. them in a case like Barry where you need to do that yep and you need to keep the records on capital of assets that are subject to capital gains tax for at least four years after the sale of those assets. Okay, yes. So, um, yes, and speaking of data matching, from the 1st of July 2016, which is in a few weeks, um, the uh, various state land titles office are also going to be supplying real property transactions to the ATO. So you can see what's happening here. The ATO is building up a big database and they're going to start matching that with your in due course matching that with your tax returns and if you've sold um, a block of land and 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 it's subject to capital gains tax um you know you're going to get they could come knocking on your door i'm sure they're going to come knocking on down the track a little bit or at least send you a letter um and and the, the property and the share transactions um as well Okay. Well, very busy day today. Uh, thank you for that. We're almost out of time. And you'll be back with us next I will Thursday. Be next next week, David. See and, you uh, of course, uh, we thank you so much for joining us today and for your input. A lot of great calls there today. Thank you to the Barrys we had, Wayne, David, and always great to have your input on the program. You can do that again next week from midday to one.